listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Toonstar, an animation tech startup that produces snackable, interactive content for mobile audiences. To learn more, visit Toonstar.com or download the Toonstar app. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Kevin Yee. Chief Marketing Officer for Pops Worldwide. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great yeah. to be here. I'm excited that this worked out. Uh, a bit spontaneous during yes. your uh, recent trip to LA, so I'm, I appreciate you making time to be on the show. And I wanted to start just by taking a step back in time and digging into your background. So understanding how you originally found your way into media and entertainment. I actually grew up in a uh, media family. My father ran a small publishing company uh, when I was growing up and through elementary school and, and high school. And I actually started working in the publishing company. I said my first more or less job in the summertime was going to car shows and selling magazine subscriptions and t-shirts and bumper stickers. And so I really got to have an opportunity to connect with people that love something X. It could be they love VW bugs. They love mini trucks. They love import cars. And that's when I really began to connect with a community of enthusiasts. That's how I kind of started off in media. Went off to college and uh, ended up back in a another, my, my family ended up selling off the first one. And so they got back into magazine publishing and then I started working at the second one and took a marketing job there. Uh, actually, my first job there was in editorial. So I spent a couple of years in, you know, producing import car magazines. It was called Import Racer. And again, it's just great, this great sense of connecting with a community that loves X. Um, and are you passionate about cars? Are you a car guy at all? Or? I, I used to be, and, okay. uh, but living in Vietnam, it's, it's nothing but motorbikes. But when I'm in Bangkok or in, in Thailand, yeah, I get to see a lot more cars. So it's still fun kind of staying connected. And um, I still read Motor Trend uh, online. I still kind of stay connected, Autoblog also. Very cool. But more so it ignited your passion for marketing, it sounds like. Correct. Yeah. And so I was I ended up in marketing at the second publishing company, looking for ways to grow our audience and um, just just that part of that big transition into digital. So we ended up selling the second magazine publishing company as we were really just figuring out how to adjust to the changing media environment. And what we realized is that we weren't, you know, we took the company as far as we could on the print side and and, and we weren't that much into the digital side at that time. And so I uh, ended up going to uh, business school actually for a graduate degree and, and trying it off and trying to do something again in marketing. Then uh, I did a study abroad because I was uh, in, in Asia, in Singapore specifically. I was really interested in finding out where the world was going. I was reading in a lot of my business cases about this happening in Asia and that happening in Asia. So I, I wanted to put myself there. Um, so I went to Singapore, just a semester abroad. And can you place this? So what, what time was this? This is 2009. Okay. So this is when the, the California economy wasn't doing so well. I mean, But Singapore at the time was exploding. Singapore at the time was exploding, yeah. High, high uh, mobile usage, uh, rapid 3G at that time, 3G adoption at that time. And there's just this generation skipping activities going on that the people in the U.S., I think we just had no real understanding of what was going on in Asia. And so I moved to, uh, ended up graduating from, uh, you went to USC, fight on. Uh, so I ended up, uh, finished up my MBA and then um, got on a plane and went back to, uh, went back to Asia, went back to Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. 
just a couple of suitcases and a backpack and my computer. And I connected with a fellow Trojan who was working at a cinema company at the time, and he was doing distribution and marketing. So I, I, he said, uh, well, maybe you can come over and help me out. So I started working in cinema, did that for about five years. Company got sold to a larger uh, Korean conglomerate. But when I looked at it, kind of looking back at my career, it's like, okay, I, I was in print, I was in cinema. So it was, I've always really enjoyed what I do in, in media and entertainment. And uh, so, and that's where I got to today. Wow. So many questions. Uh, but yeah. let's, I want to ask first, what attracted you to Ho Chi Minh City? Why go to Vietnam after spending the time in Singapore? What, what kind of focused you on that opportunity? Well, the first one obviously was uh, because of my, my now wife, <laughs> just kind of following her. I was excited about the, the type of people there. Very open. Some people are concerned when they, when they come to Vietnam, whether any of the local Vietnamese do they like Americans? If they say, no, actually, they, they, they like Americans. But so I have very, very good friends there in Vietnam. Very open, very much into learning about other cultures, uh, learning about what's new in the world that you can bring here to Vietnam. And it's just this rapid adoption of technology, uh, rapid adoption of entertainment. Again, when I was at the cinema, we had phenomenal growth year over year, just high consumption, high and, and lots of love for something that was new. So cinema was new to a lot of the different cities. Modern Cineplex was brand new for them. So bringing in Avengers, all these great Disney movies, Fox movies, it was just a, just opening up a whole new universe for them. And they loved it. And so I wanted to, you know, when the cinema, you're really limited in your audience based on the number of screens that you can put in, right? And you're also limited on uh, to those who can afford a movie ticket. And our product was a pretty, pretty high-end product for uh, most middle-class Vietnamese. So, so I said, well, you know, my next thing, maybe I can do something that's even bigger scale. And, you know, we can, instead of broadcasting in print and broadcasting to this, to the big screen, how do we broadcast to the small screen? How do we, how do we scale that up? So that's, you know, we look at the 90 million people in Vietnam and every, every one of them is a, is a potential viewer, uh, 90 million in Vietnam. And then within Southeast Asia, well over 600 million, you know, and not even including all the overseas Vietnamese, overseas Thai people that were trying to reach to. Sure, it's massive. I think a lot of people, especially perhaps here in the U.S., don't realize that Vietnam and as a gateway to Southeast Asia is such a huge market, right? Vietnam is the fourth fastest growing online video market in the world. It's Mm -hmm. number one in Southeast Asia, and that's fueling a lot of the activity that's also happening now in Thailand in Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, mm-hmm. and Pops. I mean, you guys are now active, of course, in Vietnam, but also have expanded to Thailand and have plans to expand to other other mm-hmm. markets. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that. Yeah, so, you know, what we're trying to do is that we know how the Southeast Asian market, especially in Vietnam, welcomes this type of new digital content. So we look at what works in, in Vietnam and we say, okay, how can we apply our methodology um, in other markets. So, for example, in Vietnam, our, our, we have been, been involved in the music business since 2007, since our founder created the company. So we've always had, has a, always had that as a core strength, and it, we only started up in the entertainment business about four years ago. But since then, actually, entertainment, long-form entertainment, has become one of our strongest um, content pillars. Uh, when we approached a market like Thailand, uh, we also wanted to apply the same methodology. But what we ended up finding was that you, you did have some incumbents, traditional media content producers that already were doing things up online. And so we looked for opportunities in the market. And one thing that we've been very proud of is what, we, what we've been doing on the kids' side, especially because, um, you know, you bring in kids, you kind of start them off uh, at a younger age. You start them off with like nursery rhymes and, and learning and edutainment. And 
more importantly, when we were talking to the Thai team, you know, I asked, I asked our Thai team, you know, what, what, what kind of content did you, what kind of content did you grow up watching? So we watched a lot of Doraemon, we watched a lot of foreign content. And I was actually pretty surprised because Thailand has a very, very healthy cinema market, probably one of the strongest in South Asia, Southeast Asia, you know, obviously Bollywood aside. Uh, but Thailand is a very fantastic entertainment market. And that's for local productions? Local production, correct, okay. correct. But nothing on the kids' side, you know. And so we wanted to invest on, on something for the future of, of Thai children that's produced at home in Thailand, but very digital native, you know, so much shorter form content. So I think that's what has helped fuel our, our growth um, in the marketplace. So we've got um, Pops Kids Thailand. Also, we've got a fantastic new channel partner named uh, Brianna's Secret Club. And that has taken off so, so well. Uh, she's actually half Thai, half European, I believe. And so she ha- she's actually got two channels, one in Thai and one in English. Wow. And so she's doing both at the same time. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, and she's having a lot of fun. So you mentioned Esther, the founder of Pop, started the mm-hmm. business in 2007 with a big focus on music. But of course, the business has evolved and embraced YouTube and, and multiple types of content, kids content, obviously some gaming, entertainment, mm-hmm. other, other verticals. Uh, how did you originally meet Nestor and what attracted you to make the jump? You've done publishing and cinema now move from cinema to uh, to broader digital. Art. Yeah, yeah, good question. We had Esther and I actually met back in um, undergrad. Mm, I was going to uh, say, she's also at USC. She's Columbus, also so. SC, yeah, fellow treasure. Yeah, it is, yeah. We, we're, we're, we're everywhere around yeah. the world. But I didn't know her that well back then. Uh, however, my wife, my now wife, and Esther were friends because they moved to Vietnam a little bit earlier uh, and then they got to know each other. And so I met Esther as my wife's boyfriend, as Lynn's boyfriend, not, you know, and so I kind of, you know, just kind of understood from the sidelines about what she was doing, but I was well deep into the cinema business. And after I left the cinema business, then I started talking around the market to see what different opportunities were out there. And and at that time, um, Esther and I started having some discussions, but it, it just wasn't the right time. And so until about a, about a year and a half later. And then she said, okay, I think I'm ready to really expand what we're doing. And we, we have a solid business plan and I need people to come on board and, and grow this, what we're doing. So that's when I joined the team. So uh, it's been, it's been fantastic. I mean, we're just growing like crazy. And I love that aspect of bringing worthwhile content to everyone in every village in the country or every pocket of uh, you know, anywhere in the world. So that that's that's so much fun. For me. Yeah, that's a really incredible mission when you get to empower creators to make a living doing what they love mm. and democratize access to this type of content anywhere in the world. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's amazing because, you know, you go from limited choice on traditional media of print and radio, TV, and even cinema to, you know, unlimited infinite choice, you know, where you can find an audience for, for pretty much anything. So how has the audience development practice and your skills as a marketer evolved over time, right? The, the strategies I'm sure that you were employing back in the publishing days are, are fundamentally different worlds away from what you do today in digital media. So what are some of the biggest shifts that you've observed? Actually not, to oh, be honest. Really? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of things in, in print are about, and I, I try to have a print mentality um, to what we do because in print, you can, pu- you can only publish once. You know, it's ink on paper and you can't reprint it and you need to have attractive packaging from the very beginning. So for me, every single video is like an, is like a magazine cover. You have to be able to attract people. And the beauty of digital releases, of course, is that you can adjust those over time. But you still have to get it right the very first time. 
The second beautiful part about digital is that you get so much more analytics and you can adjust on the fly and your analytics are more or less real time. So that's, that is different than, than traditional print. The other thing I've been fascinated about, especially in Southeast Asia, is the embrace of long format content. So a lot of our watch time, our average read durations are very, very high. Um, you know, people are watching 45 minute, 90 minute videos. So they are fully replacing their TV experience, their linear TV experience with a over the top digital video experience. Um, so same thing like print, you know, so a lot of people think that, well, print's gonna go away because everything is going up online. However, people still do read traditional media because they want the long format. They want the long article. Awesome. Now that you've spent time, obviously, in the U.S. and then, then Singapore and Vietnam, what would you say are the fundamental differences between, say, Western media or North American video networks to what you're putting into practice in Vietnam and Thailand? I think there's probably more similarities between, in general, in similarities in between Western media and Thai media and Vietnamese media. The similarities are that, you know, I think comedy is universal. Music is universal. What I am fascinated about is how sometimes there is a flow in between concepts between different markets. So, for example, one of our one of our comedian partners, uh, Tu Jang, she created a episode called Fast Eight, and this is two years ago. And at the time, there was no Fast Eight actually, but I had the feel of the Fast and the Furious. And so it was a little bit like a parody and it actually took off really, really well. So it was kind of like taking advantage of the mass, of the mass appeal in Vietnam of the Fast and Furious series, but then creating a parody series that actually took the, the existing story a little bit step further until the new one came out. Here we are, Fast yes. 8. So yes. now are they jockeying for search ranking position? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> we, we won that many, many years wow, ago. Wow, yeah. very good. Yeah. The uh, perks of being there early. Yeah. Well, have you observed any differences between markets? And, and I've heard anecdotally that content, uh, for instance, Korean dramas, isn't necessarily confined to just the Korean audience or no. the Korean diaspora in Canada, but it's consumed in Vietnam. It's popular very in much. Thailand. Very, very popular in, very, very popular in Thailand. Uh, very, very popular in Vietnam. And is that in Korean or with subtitles? Is it dubbed? It's with subtitles. Okay. Subtitles or not. Yeah, and dubbed also. Even one of the most popular soap operas was an Indian Bollywood soap opera mm -hmm. in, in Vietnam. That was that was very, very popular too. With uh, that one had uh, that one was dubbed. And do you find the same export value for Vietnamese content? Primarily, just with the diaspora. So the Vietnamese diaspora, the Thai diaspora. Um, those would be the major consumers of that content. However, I did stumble upon one of the most popular uh, music videos from last year. Some of the different creators here in the U.S. started doing reaction videos to this because it was actually it was a beautiful video and you started getting reaction videos with like 100,000 views. So I think when you create interesting and unique content, people hook onto that and then it, it creates other things that spin off of that so too. What are some of the challenges in operating in these emerging markets? Now, Vietnam and, and Thailand, to an extent, are, are much further developed than, say, other parts of Southeast Asia. If you mm -hmm. think about uh, some of the, the infrastructure challenges in sure. Indonesia or Malaysia, sure. but sure. still, you're operating predominantly in a mobile-first environment, and there are some other uh, probably nuances or particular challenges unique to those territories. What are some of the things that you observe? So digital marketing didn't really exist seven, eight years ago, let alone YouTube marketing. Facebook marketing. So those have really come on very, very quickly. 
So I would say a lot of the the local mentality in, in Vietnam has traditionally been to, well, I'll just try it and I'll break stuff and see what happens. So you see a lot of experimentation. You see a lot of people trying to just try everything, right? And so oftentimes, though, that becomes very, very noisy. So it's kind of my job is to harness that energy and channel it and, and say, okay, well, you tried last week, you tried 10 different things, but now you need to see, okay, this week, which one's actually worked? And then how do you build on that and move forward? So I think a lot of times the energy and enthusiasm to try something out is, is there, but the capability to analyze and then move forward and build upon something that is a skill that you have to develop with the, with the local team. And is that something that you and your team do invest a lot of time, not just doing for owned and operated pops content, but with your creator community as well? With the creator community as well. But I think in Southeast Asia, I think a lot of the traditional uh, MCNs really have to partner up the creators uh, because the creators don't necessarily have the you know, they, I think they're very much focused on the creative aspect. And so we have to really, really push them and show them how to harness and leverage the digital platforms, right? Or we have to do ourselves, or we have to do that on behalf of them. So we really, really have to partner up with them to help them grow their audience. Is that primarily still on YouTube or are you looking ahead to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or maybe even local platforms that are more specific to Southeast Asia? Yeah, so in Vietnam and Thailand too, you know, YouTube monetization is, is pretty well established after a few years now. However, monetization on Facebook is still limited other than um, doing branded content and branded posts. So we've been carefully plotting what we're going to be doing in that space, but we haven't uh, invested as much that we have with YouTube. We're, however, we're much more focused on building out our own platforms. You know, we've been really investing heavily into leveraging our existing kids community and creating an application that really, really works for them, both from a, a viewing experience, but also from an edutainment experience as well. So you're hinting at this, but I want to dig in a little bit deeper. What does the future hold for Pops? It sounds like trying to find ways to unlock more potential from those audiences, but what are you most excited about in the years to come? I think where we are sitting in Southeast Asia, it's just, you know, within a five hour, six hour uh, flying radius, you have well over 650 million people um, that are very, very young. So, you know, I think for us, you know, just continue to grow within the Southeast Asian market. Um, more often than not, I found so many more similarities than dissimilarities in the, in the market. So, you know, in terms of comedy, music, kids, you know, it's, it's I think they're universal truths about content. So just kind of leveraging our own experience and in, in, in building up this market in, in Vietnam and, and expanding that into Thailand and wherever next we're going to be going. And beyond. Yes. Good. And what does the future hold for the online video industry in total? So if you end up making you know, three predictions about the future of the ecosystem, what would they be? One, I'd like to see more tools that enable creators to um, generate revenue directly. So uh, merchandise as a business model doesn't work very, very well in um, Southeast Asia. So, you know, whether it's other methods like with um, Super Chat, with like little stickers and, and doing other other ways to monetize, I think I'd like to see that. You know, we obviously work very hard to build up an audience and reward the creators for their work, the ones that we work with. But I think in general, you know, everyone wants to get, reach that dream of quitting their day job to focus on being creative. Love to see that happening. Two is mobile usage is already very, very high. And But what's been very, very interesting for uh, Southeast Asia, especially in Vietnam, is the high usage of smart TVs, um, internet TVs. 
So, you know, we have several hundred thousand users of our, of our kids' app on, on smart TVs too. I don't think that's really going to go away. It's, it's in the double digits right now. They probably continue expanding, wow. which is very different than markets like the U.S. So I think monetizing on the TV platforms would be very, very interesting. We see some of our highest average redurations on TV. So it's, again, it's that replacement of linear TV um, for this internet TV experience. Not to interrupt you because I'm sure. curious still to hear your third prediction, but why do you think that is? Is it because of the economics that it's uh, just a more compelling or easier way to consume content in a lean back experience? People want to watch you know, short form digital video content on their smart TV? Yeah, I think there's several reasons. I mean, I think part of it is low, the infrastructure is pretty good. So you have a low cost of internet uh, all throughout the country. You're also able to get access to, it's just on-demand content. Um, they don't get through through linear. Also, the, the cost of these devices are quite low. You know, Samsung is a major, Samsung and, and Sony LG are, are competing very, very heavily in the market. And that tends to keep prices down and keep it affordable for uh, most, most Vietnamese. So I think there's a number of different reasons. And also just from a, again, I think it just always goes back to the viewing experience of just this on-demand experience and you want this infinite choice. And we also do see high, us- high usage of uh, the experience uh, for um, second screening and even third screening. So second screening would be TV plus a mobile device and sure. third screening would be TV mobile and tablet, tablet or something. Wow, okay. Yeah. I wonder if there are also cultural dynamics as well because in the US, some people still seem tethered to their cable packages because they want to watch sports or they're wedded to another particular piece of content. Mm-hmm. But as that becomes unbundled, either because of market forces pushing consumers, you know, demanding right. that that happens, right. or in other markets you see in Canada where the regulatory environment is actually mandating mm-hmm. that unbundling activity. But you don't seem to have those same obstacles in Vietnam. So people are just saying, hey, you know, I want to watch my videos on my TV Correct. whenever I want. Correct. Yeah, because you have people that are going from, they're, they're actually skipping cable. So cable penetration is pretty low, same as satellites, pretty low. Um, because you have people going from, basically they're going from OTA uh, over the air, more or less free, and they're going to straight to digital. They're wow, straight just to YouTube the entire and Facebook. Correct. Oh, wow. Correct. Uh-huh. So there's nothing really that's locking them into cable anyway, yeah. right? And so I think that's another, That's a, That's a you hit on another good No, answer. that was fascinating. So thank you for sharing. But I want to return back to your third prediction. Uh, third prediction. And I'll recap just what, to give you a little bit of extra time to think. So the first one you mentioned, which I think is really smart, is giving creators additional paths to monetization, direct monetization through merchandise, e-commerce, affiliate marketing, and other resources. And then second, the uh, growth of smart TV, digital video consumption in Vietnam. So the third one is probably, it's my real hope and dream that we see a greater connectivity within Southeast Asia for, we get a lot of spillover from the US or Korea, but for the most part, Southeast Asia hasn't been a, a net exporter of content. So I think that's what I, that's my, you know, moonshot, right? Where we have, you know, so many collaborations between let's say Thai creators and Vietnamese creators or the content can easily move back and forth between the markets. That's. I think that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see the world realize that, you know, V-pop can be just as good as K-pop or, you know, Thai pop. Thai pop is fantastic too, by the way. You know, Thai pop is just as good as K-pop, for example. So I think for me, that's where, I think that's natural that others in Southeast Asia would become more and more curious about those people that you're sharing a border with between, you know, like, for example, in, uh, in Thailand, we see a lot of uh, music consumption in Laos and Cambodia. 
Vietnam, you see these these border areas where there's consumption between the two countries. So I think it's only natural that we will see more fluid flow of culture and content amongst the region. I love all those predictions. Thanks for sharing. Let's close out with just some rapid fire questions. Okay. A different tack. What are some books that have had a profound impact on your life or maybe shaped your career as a marketer? There was a book I read about you know, your first hundred days, but these are just kind of general management books. I did read one on, um, I really liked Ogilvy on advertising. I, mm, I, I did a short, oh. I did a short stay at, at Ogilvy one in Vietnam. So I read that. And there was another book, um, called sexy little numbers from Dimitri. And I can't remember his last name, but again, it was about, it was about analytics. It was about marketing analytics. So, Marrying the quantitative and the qualitative. Correct. Side of correct. I think you have to, I think as a marketer, Today, you have to be all about the analytics because there's just so much, there's, first of all, there's so much data out there. There's so many infinite options on what you could do and where you could go. So it's just a matter of honing in where you think you get the, you'll get the greatest return on investment. You mentioned that your parents were entrepreneurs, right? And started their own publishing business. Yeah, the first one, sure. and the same with the second. Do you find that that same entrepreneurial drive is embedded in your DNA? Do you have uh, passion or, or ambitions to start your own company one day? Not, not at this point. You know, it's... Uh, I, I try to bring the entrepreneurial spirit to the teams that I run. You know, I think it's about not necessarily trying to break stuff, but, you know, you, you obviously you don't want to break something, but you do want to push the boundaries and remember like that, you know, the, you have to con- keep a sense of urgency in what you're doing and because otherwise your competition will catch up to you. So I, I think not necessarily for me, but I do try to bring that mentality of run leaner, run faster, run smart. It's okay to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. But, and you'll never know unless you try it. So if you were going to start a business in the online video space today, okay. just starting completely from scratch, what would you do? I think for, for personally, for me, now that I've, I have a family now, I think it's about, I think I would end up focusing on education. That, I think for me, that, that would be, that would pretty much be it, you know, and allowing, having platforms for different um, people to learn about cultures and languages and be educated. I think... You know, Khan Academy, for example, you know, it's a great use case, right, of teaching stuff that's in school. But, you know, when I was growing up, I had a Chinese tutor and, and it was very slow and boring and I never learned very much. So maybe there's a new way to take advantage of technology, right? And, you know, when we think about what we can do for the rural audiences in, in Vietnam, where we can bring, you know, either world-class education or world-class content to anyone with a screen, they don't have to go to the big cities to get you know, good language training or good training, like, you know, how to and all this stuff. They can, they can just open up the screen. So long story short. Yeah. Education. I think that would be fantastic. And where can people find out more about you and more about pops? Uh, so for pops, uh, we have a website pops, www.com. Um, I'm Kevin at pops, www.com or LinkedIn or Facebook. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, like we discussed a little bit before the podcast, it's great getting to sit down with you in, in this kind of casual format and chat a little bit more about your experience and insights. And especially because so much of the guests and the typical conversations we get to have are perhaps very U.S. or Western-centric. So getting exposure to what's happening in Southeast Asia and, and your experience from being in the U.S. to Singapore to Vietnam and Thailand is phenomenal. So thank you again for making Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Mm